Hello, friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, July the 11th. We continue looking at the book of Hebrews. Today, we're going to look at chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, and in sort of a two parts, uh, this Sunday and next Sunday, of sort of looking at this section that we're we're calling triumph or tragedy, uh, triumph of tragedy. Um, <clears throat> you know, most of the arguments that are launched against Christianity, our faith, well, they're based on <clears throat> a caricature. It's a distorted view of Christianity. And is this true faith? It is the true faith, excuse me, which the book of Hebrews so wonderfully teaches us. It reveals very clearly the difference between the false and the true. The false way of living as a Christian is to believe and to try harder, that somehow it's about me and and what I'm doing that wins approval. That is, it's the old Avis car rental motto, if you remember that, uh, that we try harder. And it appears in in the common sort of attitude of I'll do my best and God will do the rest kind of thing. Like he sort of fills in the gaps, if you will. And that sounds deceptively pious and, and very sanctimonious and very Christian, but, but it's utterly false. It's just not true. As we've been seeing in Hebrews, the true way is to believe and to fully trust for God in us to work and to work his good pleasure. Our willing is there for his willing. Unless he shows us differently, our working is his working, unless he shows us otherwise. And the, and the last half of chapter 10 sums it all up. The writer of this letter is drawing their presentation of the teaching of this passage to a conclusion. And they strike again the three dominant sort of notes, uh, highlights of the letter, teaching, warning and encouragement and more precisely verse 19 through 39 reveal a provision which creates privilege a a presumption which invites punishment and and courage which reveals faith and and that is our program we keep using that word that is that is how it works if you will so in, in a nutshell the secret of christian living is described in this first section the provision which creates privilege. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, reading from the NIV, is a call to persevere in faith. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Looking carefully at the passage, we see that twice the phrase, we have, and following these, there is repeated three times the phrase, let us. 
we have is provision. Let us is privilege. Here's what we mean. First of all, what do we have? We have confidence, he says. We have boldness to enter into the sanctuary, not 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 a church building. If we call a building the house of God, we miss the true message of the New Testament, which is that the house of God is actually the bodies of people. That's where God dwells today. The true sanctuary is is the realm of the spirit and humanity. It's pictured in the tabernacle. We have we have the outer court and the body the holy place and the soul and the holy of holies is the spirit of mankind. It, it was this that we were forbidden to enter as long as we did not know Jesus Christ. We could not move into the realm of the spirit. Our, our spirit, the Bible says, our spirits, excuse me, the Bible says, were dead in trespasses and sins. It's Ephesians 2. But through the blood of Jesus, a way has been opened into this area. We have, when we become a Christian for the first time, We were able to operate on a spiritual level. Our spirits began to function. We became, for the first time, complete human beings, operating as God intended humanity to operate. And it is this inner person that the writer of Hebrews is referring to as as the sanctuary. We can now come with boldness, they say, into the inner person, into the realm of the spirit where we meet face to face with God. The spirit is the only part of man that can meet God. We enter this, this, the writer says, by the blood of Jesus. It's the only way in. And it's important to remember what he has already taught us in this letter about the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus refers not not just to the blood of of the man, Jesus, but in a very real sense, as we've already learned, it, it also represents our blood because Jesus was our representative. He died in our place. He was made sin for us, according to Galatians 5. So, so then what happened to him is what God sees as happening to us. This phrase, the blood of Jesus, is a symbolic way of saying that we must be willing to accept the sentence of death on, on natural man, that we must, be, we must die to our own ability to do anything for God of ourselves. That's what he's talking about. The only way into the realm of the spirit where God can be enjoyed face to face is by accepting that death sentence, that sentence of death on the natural person. There's nothing that humanity in and ourselves can offer to God, nothing that he can contribute, nothing that God finds pleasurable or favorable. To accept that is to enter into the value of the blood of Jesus. The only thing we can contribute to God is what he has first given us. And if we think differently, otherwise... We can never enter into this realm. Our worship will only go so far. But we have a way into the sanctuary. Our death in Jesus has opened that way. In his dying on the cross, this Jesus has ripped the veil, the flesh, so that the way into the inner shrine of man is wide open. We can freely enter. So that's the first provision. The second one is, we have a high priest. So this is provision, what, what is given to us. We have a high priest over the house of God. Remember what we learned already in this letter as to what that house is. As the writer says very clearly in chapter 3, whose house we are, Hebrews 3, 6. He's describing then the indwelling, the living internally in us of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. 
the recognition of an indwelling Jesus who offers to clothe himself with our personality and is prepared to live his life over again in our circumstances right where we are. This is the greatest truth of Christian faith. Christianity is not some feeble effort on our part to live an imitation life of Jesus. Christianity is Jesus Christ living his life again through us right where we are in our circumstances. We have complete a completely available and thoroughly able priest in control over the house of God, whose house we are. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he writes and says exactly the same thing. Writing to his friend in Philippi, he says, We are the true circumcision who worship God in the spirit, who glory in Jesus Christ. He is the one we count on and who have no confidence in the flesh. We have accepted God's sentence of death against the natural man. That's Philippians 3, 3. So there is our complete provision, an awakened spirit and a complete mediator. So now on the basis and that basis alone, the writer of Hebrews goes on to urge three things that we can do. These are the let us statements, okay? The let us statements of draw near, speak out, and stir up. So let's take the first, draw near with a true heart. We can, we can put that in more modern terms. The writer is saying that we are to live continually in dependence on an indwelling Jesus. Draw near means continually to walk in the presence of God. When, when we draw near on that basis, these are the wonderful results. First of all, there's, there's a full assurance of faith. That means living out of, out of adequacy. That means to discover a source of supply, which, well, it's never going to run out. Our dependence is no longer on, on my weak abilities that we may have as a person, our talents, our gifts, our training, our education. Our dependence now is on that flowing power of the Holy Spirit, of the living God who dwells, who lives in us, a river of living water, a supply that never ends. That is living out of adequacy. We are prepared to meet any circumstance, not in fear and trembling, but in the quiet confidence that he who was in us is able to do everything that needs to be done. That is full assurance, full assurance of faith. Secondly, in this, a result of drawing near is a heart sprinkled clean from an evil consciousness. So there's freedom from guilt. Psychologists would tell us that the whole race of humanity is suffering from a guilty conscience, that that is the basic human problem. But Jesus Christ has come to meet that problem. The heart that comes before God on the terms outlined here experiences a complete freedom from the sense of that nagging guilt. It is true peace. We are accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1, 6 says. God has no issue with us that he will not make explicitly clear so that we may know it as well as he does. So we can be free from any unidentified nagging sense of guilt. And then thirdly, as a result of this, is our bodies are washed with pure water. Again, symbolic language is, as a lot of the verse here, it refers to an outward life, which has been cleaned, rearranged, changed by this new life in Jesus. The whole life is changed because we have drawn near to God. These are the things that are possible only as we approach on the basis outlined before. We come accepting the sentence of death to all that's natural in us, 
depending on Jesus living in us, who is prepared to do through us everything that needs to be done. But even this is just the first step in the possibilities of a Christian life. The second step to which we're urged is let us. The second let us is let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. That is, we are not only to draw near, okay, that was that last section, but to speak out, to share the great secret. We can be confident that as we talk about what has happened to us, those who, are, who hear it, acting on that same basis that we acted on, will experience the same results because God is faithful. The one who has declared this is no respecter of persons. He will do as much for the next person as he has done for us. He will do as much for the boss at the top of the heap as he does for the person at the bottom. It makes no difference. He is faithful. So we can rely on the fact that in sharing what God has done in us, that he will do it also in someone else. Speak out then. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The third privilege is let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How do we stir someone up to love and good works? These two things are always the mark of Christianity, are they not? Christ- Christians are never judged by confession that we make or the creeds that we may recite. We're never judged by our theology. It's always by our deeds. How much practical love have we manifested? How, how far have we responded to the cry for help from someone near us, someone who is down or disappointed, who needs an encouraging word? or a helping hand, or a generous check. This, this is the ultimate test. How do we achieve this? Well, the author of Hebrews would suggest we achieve this in a couple of ways. First of all, by not neglecting meeting together. That, that is very important. Not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. That suggests the character of the meetings. They're not to be discouraging meetings. They are to be encouraging meetings. They should be meetings where we can hear again that tremendous radical principles of Christian faith and see again in, in, in lives of people we know the power of the one whom we worship and serve and where we can understand how God works through, through our community, how he's transforming and changing people everywhere. To meet together is to encourage one another in these things. That is what Christian services ought to be like, to hear the word of God so that it comes home with power in the heart and, and, and to share it with, other, with another, the results of it. And the second way is, is the watchful awareness of the time. All the more, as you see the day drawing near, the day is the certain return of Jesus Christ. We need, we need all more and more of being together to encourage one another by sharing things of life in Jesus. We have the privilege of all these of all three of these, to draw near, to speak out, and to stir up. That is the whole Christian life in a nutshell. This is a privilege that is open to all of us if we come on the terms that Jesus has called us to come. So as we close today, reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 8. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Amen. God bless. Have a great week.